So now please welcome Dorothy, our preacher. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Please raise your hands towards Dorothy as we pray for her. Father God, we just thank you for this mighty woman of God. And I pray, Lord God, that you will anoint every word with powerful anointing that comes out of Dorothy's mouth this morning. And your word will go to the point of need, that you will bring peace, you will bring freedom, you will bring um, restoration, and everything that we need this morning, your word will fulfill that. And we thank you that you are a great God who knows us inside out, you know our needs. So Lord, bless us this morning with the word that Dorothy brings. So anoint, double anointing of Elijah on Dorothy this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Thank you, Florence. I'm still trying to recover from that worship. Part of my talk today is about creative God and relational God. He was so here this morning, totally here. He just loves our worship. He just loves, yes, he is still here. He hasn't gone anywhere. He loves to be with us. I just thank him so much for that. So, this talk might jump around a little bit. Stay with me, okay? If you've got your Bibles, then you can get them out and be prepared and turn to Genesis 1. Is at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to read the whole lot today. No, no, we're not. No, we're not. Okay. So I'm wanting to talk to you today about the creativeness of God and the relationalness of God, if that's a totally word. Uh, and how he talks us into being and how his breath and his spirit is within us now as he was right at the beginning. Just breathe for a minute. <laughs> also, going to have a look at some of his, the miracles of Jesus as he walked on the earth that's still creating life and hope in us today. So, we're going to start right at the very beginning. You should be in your Bible and with Genesis now. I'm not going to read the whole of Genesis. I'm going to jump through. I'm not going to read the whole of verses, but you can jump along with me if you'd like to. So, Genesis 1 three said God says so we're looking at how God is speaking the word his creative how he's speaking when he creates right at the very beginning Genesis 1 3 God said let there be light and there was light Genesis 1 6 God said let there be an expanse and there was an expanse 1 9 God said let the waters from the heaven be gathered into one place let the dry land appear and it was so Genesis 1.11, God said, let the land produce vegetation, and it was so. 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the vault to the sky to separate the day from the night and give light to the earth, and it was so. Genesis 1.20-21, God said, let the waters teem with living creatures, birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky, and God saw that it was good. 124, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And it was so. And then Genesis 1, 26 to 27, God said, let us make mankind in our image, 
in our image, in our likeness, so that we might rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's the difference. God created mankind. He said, let us. Everything else that we're reading through, he said, he didn't. He said, let the earth, let there be, let the water, let the land. When it came to creating man, he said, let us. I know he was involved, everything else, but let us is more important. He breathed his own breath into us right at the beginning. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We are formed differently to any other living thing on this earth. We have God's breath inside of us. Isn't that awesome? Right now, today, it's carrying on right from Adam. It didn't stop at Adam. It goes generation, generation, generation. It's still inside us today. We are made in his image, his likeness, to be like him. Not to look like him, because we don't know what he looks like. We all look different. It's to be like him. The presence of him, how he is, how he behaves, his likeness, his kindness, his love for people. That's what we are made like, to be like him. But when I was preparing... For this, God had me think about how he actually spoke the other things to into being. Now, when we talk, I'm not stopping breathing to talk. His breath is still coming out. So his breath is still in every single thing that we see. It's in the beautiful trees, the different colors, the different shapes. It's in the birds, the animals, the bees, for some reason. It's in absolutely everything. But when he made us, he stopped. He took time to thinking like humanly now, he would have taken time to go down, to get that dust from the ground, to use it in his hands, to mould, to make Adam, to bring him close to his face, to breathe into him. Adam's first breath coming out would have breathed God's own breath back on to God. Can you imagine like when you're holding a baby so close when they're brand new and that new breath and that new life, just the amazingness of it. Adam, the firstborn son of Jesus Christ, if that's the correct saying, I don't know, that's just come like that. But the first man that he made would have breathed his own breath back on him. And that continues in us today. And I just think that is awesome and amazing. Jump two paragraphs. <laughs> it's just the closeness. But after he created Adam, he didn't just pop him in the garden. He didn't just leave him there like a puppet to be played with or a toy left on a shelf. Because God's not that type of God. God's not a domineering God who orchestrates things that we have to do. God is a relational God. So we're not like the puppets. We're not like the toys on a shelf. He didn't do that with Adam. He asked Adam in Genesis 2.20 to come and join him. He said, it says, Then God tells Adam to name all of the living creatures. Right from the very beginning, God involves us in what he is doing, what he is creating. Can you imagine being Adam? sitting there, standing there, I don't know, and all these creatures coming past and past and past you, and you're going, oh, giraffe, tortoise, 
turtle. Thank you. Oh, that's the one I was trying to think of. Oh, yeah, okay, platypus for that one. You know, having that gift inside of him to be able to do that in the first place, but God's breath's going through him. The creativeness of God is still within this man right from the very beginning. God wanted us right at the beginning to be involved, to do things with him. And then he also told Adam to go and tend the garden. So he gave him more responsibility. Go look after my garden. But, as we all know, Adam did something wrong right at the beginning. He ate from the forbidden tree. And we hear in Genesis 3, 8, how after he'd done that, that God was... God came to the garden. So he walked with Adam in the cool of the day, it said. Now... I don't think that that would have been the first time that God walked at the cool of the day just because Adam had done something wrong. If God's gone to all the trouble of making him, being part of him, wanting him to name the, Adam, the, the Adams, wanting him to name the animals, he wouldn't have just left him there. He would have been with him every day. But up until that's all we hear about it, that he walks with him in the cool of the day. That's, I don't think that that would have been the very first time he would have walked with him. I think he would have been with him the whole time, every single day. Come to see, how you doing? How's life going? How's my plant getting on over there? General conversation, general being with somebody. He wouldn't have bothered breathing that breath in him and doing everything if he's just leaving him there on his own. To knowing God as a relational God today knowing him as one that knows our innermost being and our thoughts and our heart, that's why I don't think that would have been his first visit. He would have been with him all the time or in the eve of the day. And that is just what he wants to do now. He wants to be with us every single day. So God had a relationship with Adam. And because of Jesus, he is still wanting that relationship with us today. We have not been forgotten and when I was writing that bit, it seemed strange that I would put those words in there. But I just feel that those words need to be there for somebody today, that we have not been forgotten. God knows us. God sees us. God wants that relationship with us all, all today. doesn't matter what you've done. He still wants to know you. We were created with God's own breath. And the breath is still available for us today as we come before him and ask him for new life as we give up our old ways and say, Lord, we want you in our lives. We want to know you and ask Jesus into our lives. We can be changed because we know him. We can be changed because we allow him to breathe new life into us. Now comes our first jump. We're moving to Exodus 35, 30 to 34. And seeing what happened to an ordinary man when he got filled with God, the spirit of God. So, I'll read from there. Exodus 35, 30 to 34. Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen... Excuse me if I'm not saying the names properly. See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills 
to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engrave in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Oalalaba, son of Arishkamak, of the tribe of Dan, excuse my saying on that, the ability to teach others. Pete Gregg says in his book, Red Moon Rising, that this was the first man in the Bible described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was not a great king or a prophet. He was a craftsman, anointed by God to decorate the prayer room, the tabernacle, the temple, a centerpiece of our historical faith was decorated with carvings of flowers and angels. There were freestanding sculptures of cherubims. Much of the temple was overlaid with gold. So this was no ordinary people, person. This was someone like you or like me that God chose to fill with his spirit. And now we know as Christians now we can all, my goodness, his spirit's been here this morning, definitely. <laughs> we know that we can have that filling of Holy Spirit within us right now and every single day we should be asking for more and more filling of his spirit because when we have his spirit within within us it enables us to create new things new beginnings new things things that we don't think that we could ever do or ever be become easier because his spirit is within us guiding us and teaching us Bezalel, the the craftsman, became the skilled craftsman. But he was able to teach others. And as we allow God's spirit to grow in us, we're able to go teach others as well. I never in my life thought I would ever stand up here and be preaching and showing people things and bringing, hopefully, wisdom to you guys. But God has brought me from way back there to here because I have allowed his spirit to do work in me. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't allowed him to do, and that's for me and him to sort out. But there's a lot of stuff that I have allowed him to do, which brings me to this point here, that hopefully we're teaching and learning and carrying on, and you get something from it, and you go on to teach somebody else something about, oh, did you hear what Dorothy said at the weekend? Or did you hear what Mary, what Florence said? Like that. At the weekend, what about this? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Let's go check it out with her. Is that right? Check out anything I'm saying that that might be waffle. Come and check it out with me. Please do. We are to ask for wisdom. And we are to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is a prayer that we can all pray over ourselves and we can all pray over our friends and relatives, anybody really. Pray that the glorious Father, Lord Jesus Christ, can give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you know him better. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. From, and that was in Acts 13.52. We are disciples here today. We are supposed to be continually filled with joy, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually filled with the Holy Spirit, definitely. Helps you move on, helps you get going, helps you do things, makes you stronger than you think you could ever be. Continually filled with joy doesn't necessarily mean we're wandering around laughing our heads off all the time. 
It's just that peace within. It can mean you're wandering around laughing your head off all the time. (laughs) But it's the peace inside you that keeps you stable, that knows, that says, it's all right, God's got this. It's going to be all right. We're we're fine. Keep going. It's going to happen. I wanted to give a quick personal testimony about God's creativeness and his and asking about wisdom and revelation, even though I realized I, I didn't know I was doing it. And a lot of you guys have heard this before about my reading. Um, but it, he took me from a fear and an inability to read well to a craving and a desire to read because I asked him. I said, I want to know you more. I need to be able to read your Bible if I'm going to know you personally. I need to know you more. I didn't know that I was asking for wisdom. I didn't know that I was asking for revelation about him. I just knew it was asking, I want to know you more. So he taught me to read over time. And then he gave me a love for writing. I've written for the Inus a while ago and I wrote poems. Some of the poems I share with you guys, some are just for him and me. And it's been prophesied that one day I'll write a book. That seems way out there, but it's still a prophecy. It's still something that will happen one day because God says it will happen. I think that's just such a creativity in God that he's chose to do something in me that I hated, that I didn't like, that brought a fear. And he said, no, I'm going to make you strong in this. And that's how we step on the enemy's feet because we ask God to release things in us that are a fear in us, that actually he's changed round. It's no longer a fear to read. It's no longer a fear to write. It's a joy. And that stamps on the enemy's feet, and that gives the enemy no hold over our lives. So I just want to encourage you guys, if there's something that you are fearful of, if there's something that you have, you feel inability to do, and you say, I don't think I can ever do that, pray. Pray and ask God, help you. Help me to find a way through this. Because it's a hold that the enemy has on you that he has no right to hold on you. So I encourage prayer for that. And you can get prayer for it afterwards as well if you want that. Anybody online can come onto our email and we will pray for you about that. He is so, so good. Let's jump ahead again. <laughs> I had to catch up where I am. John 2, 1 to 11. A reading about Jesus' first miracle. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples has always been, had, had been invited to the wedding. When the wine had gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why are you involving me, Jesus said. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding a 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the water the jars with water so they filled them to the brim then he told them now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet they did so the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine he did not realize where it had come from those servants though the servants who had drawn the water knew then he called the bridegroom aside and said 
Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So he turned water into wine. He created color and he created flavor. He could have just spoke like back to creation, just spoke things into. So he could have just said, oh, yeah, I'm busy. Water turn into wine. You know, or he could have just gone up and touched it if he wanted to. I feel like I'm analyzing his miracles, by the way. He did his miracles how he did his miracles, and that was fine. <laughs> but I'm analyzing a bit. He could have done it so many different ways. So why did he bother to tell the servants to go and get the jars, to fill up the jars, to take the water, to do this? Because he wants to involve us. Because he still wants to involve humanity. He still wants us to be involved in what he does. I'm wondering, as the servants took, because all they had to do was fill it up with water and then get a cup and take it over for tasting. Was that, in that cup at the time, water or wine? Would they have walked over to the master of the banquet with just a glass of water? Would they have seen it have changed colour? don't know but what a faith that they would have had to have had they would have had to obey anyway i think because they are we do read that they are servants so they most really would have had to do it but can you think of the worry if it's just looking like water to take it over to taste to the master at the banquet i don't know but that would have been real, real faith for them to, to have had to have done that. But this was really big. We discussed this, didn't we? With the large jugs, 20 to 30 gallons each, we figured out that in today's time, that's 72 pints of milk. Because I can think in pints of milk, I can't think in gallons. That is a big, heavy lot of water that they would have been done. It wouldn't have been done in two minutes. It would have taken time to go get that. The master of the banquet didn't know that this was a miracle. Most of the guests there most probably didn't know that a miracle had taken place. I believe that God chose to do this, so yeah, I think I said this, so that humans could be involved. We are made in God's image not to look like him, but to be like him. If we're involved in his first miracle, then I think he still wants us involved today. Yes. He cared enough about the people to be at that wedding, to spend time celebrating with them. And he cared enough that he changed the water into wine so that the hosts wouldn't lose face. Because in those day and ages, in Jesus' time, weddings were week-long festivals, banquets to be prepared for many guests. And the, weeks, the week would say, be spent celebrating the married couple's lives. A study Bible said that to run out of wine was more than embarrassing. It broke the strong, unwritten law of hospitality. Jesus was responding to a heartfelt need. And he made the wine the best of the best. Not just a little bit nice, just a bit sweeter, but the best of the best. Now, he didn't know... Oh, shoot, sorry. Yeah, he didn't... So other people didn't know... They didn't see. Only the people that would have been close by would have seen that this was a miracle. Jesus didn't do it for show. He did it simply to help 
to make the wine because the wine had run out and his mother had asked. But actually, when I looked, I've looked at different versions and she doesn't actually ask. She just says, there's no more wine. It's just a statement. She might have said, oh, there's no more wine. Oh, you know. I don't know. We weren't there. But she didn't question necessarily. Not one place that I can find in there has a question mark behind it. But it might have been done in a questioning way. But Jesus responds anyway because he knows his mother's heart, because he knows his mother's mind. He knows our hearts today. He knows our minds today if we know him. So we might ask for something, and it might not be exactly what we want because we're afraid to say totally outright what we want. We can just state, do a statement that God can see inside our hearts, God can see inside our minds, and he knows, oh, that's what you're really asking for. You're asking me for the blue cavalier, aren't you? When you're looking at the mini over there, you know. He, he knows what we want, and he will answer. So because people only close to him would have seen this miracle, I just want to say a statement that Jesus didn't come for personal splendor. He came for personal relationship. I liked that, actually. Jesus didn't come for personal splendor. He came for personal relationship. So what about Mary, his mother? He almost rebukes her in verse 4. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. But he still answers. He still makes the wine. We know this is his first miracle, public miracle. Maybe Mary had seen him do miracles before. Maybe she knew that that's what he could do, so that's why she was asking him. We don't really know. Maybe she hadn't seen him do miracles. Maybe she was just expecting her son to go and find some wine somewhere. Again, we don't really know. I think the possibility is that she'd seen him do miracles. No. But just like us today, maybe yesterday or maybe even tomorrow, if we see a need in our friends or our family or even our own lives, we can turn to prayer. We can ask God for help and he will hear and he will answer. But we can expect to hear from him and the best of the best, not just the tiniest bit that we think. We can expect an answer that will be the best of the best. Now, Julie spoke last week. We're going to look at another miracle of Jesus's. Julie spoke about it last week as well from John 9, where Jesus heals the blind man. He was coming away from a crowd of people that were about to stone him. And he stopped. He took the time to stop for this blind man. He bent down. This is from John, sorry, John 9, 1 to 7. He went along. He saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, with some of the, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. That's another miracle that among loads that Jesus performed. He stopped 
when he could have been in danger himself, he stopped for us because we are important to God. He knelt down, mixed the saliva with the dirt to make mud. Now that might be strange to some people then as to why he was doing that and it might seem strange today. Why would anybody want to put saliva on anybody's eyes or face or anywhere really? But what comes from God is always good. Two things he did there. He mixed together dirt, he mixed together germs. Two things that are told normal as bad as not good. But he made good out of it. He made something out of it that brought healing and brought light to that man. And he can make good out of our lives now. He can bring things that will bring healing and light to our lives. Stuff that we think is rubbish. Stuff that we think is no good. Like the looking back to my reading, the things that were hindering me, he took it and he made it good. He brought healing and he brought light. And he can do that for anybody now. He wasn't afraid when he was on earth to do miracles. He wasn't afraid to touch the untouchables. He touched lepers. He touched blind men. He touched the woman with the blood. He even touched dead bodies. He was not worried. He's not worried about the stuff that's in your lives or my lives because he knows he can bring healing and he can bring light to it if we ask him and we allow him to. He welcomes us with open arms. He died on the cross to forgive our sins and make a way for relationship with Father God. So, just as right from creation, he still wants relationship. He wants to know you. We still have to do our part. Suppose Jesus stopped, bent down, made the saliva, made the mud, got up, put it on the man's eyes, told him to go and wash in the Silamon, I think it was. And the man said, okay, and off he went. And then just walked around for days with the mud on his eyes. Didn't bother to go, which would be really silly. But may or may not have been healed, don't know. Suppose he decided, actually, I'm here, that lake that Jesus wants me to wash in. Oh, it's up there, down the stairs, up the road, round out the corner, back up there. Oh, I'm just going to go and wash over there. So he didn't go to the right lake. Would that have made a difference? Don't know. I'm just playing with ideas. <laughs> I'm just playing around. We don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But the thing is, if God asks us to do something, we should go do what he's asked us to do. He's got such a bigger picture of the whole world. He sees a lot more that we don't see. So we might think, oh, I don't really want to go there and speak to that person because that's so far away. I've got to walk all the way across the room. You know, it's a long way to go. I'll just go and get a cup of tea instead. Whereas that person over the other side of the room that God said to you, can you go and just tell them I love them? They might really, really need to know that. So we all have ability to hear from God. We all have his spirit inside us. So let's do what he asks us to do. Even if it's a bit, oh, and you can't move. Yes, you can move. You can do it because you've got his strength inside you. So good. So God's going to give us opportunities. 
it's up to us whether we take them or whether we don't take them. Because right at the very beginning, I said, we're not puppets. We're not toys for him to play with. We all have the ability to think for ourselves. He wants us to think for ourselves. He wants us to be creative, to move along, to grow in him. But whether we decide to do that is still our own decision. Oh, summing up. <laughs> I love when you get to the end. Right from creation, God has wanted us to be with him, creating us with his own breath, involving us and valuing our opinion. He still wants that now. As we come to know him, his living breath inside us, Holy Spirit can guide us, casting out fear and sin from our past life. With his help, we can proclaim what is right, stamp on the head of the enemy, and walk and breathe in new life in Christ Jesus. Allowing his breath, his living being, to guide us for his glory and his kingdom. Remember, we can pray and expect answers and expect to see miracles. I think there's quite a lot in what I've said and I've jumped around and hopefully you've kept up with me. And somebody might tell me later, oh, you can go a bit further on that one, a bit deeper on that one. But my main point is that God loves us. He's created us to have relationship with him. And whatever we think we've done that is stopping us from coming to him, it's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. Whatever you think you've done that stops you coming and saying, Father God, I want to know more about you. Jesus, I want you in my life. If there's something you're thinking, I can't because God has, because of this or because of that, is a total lie of the enemy. He has no hold over your life. Anybody is welcome to come to Jesus because of what he has done on the cross. No sin is too great for him because he can breathe new life into us, right as he did with Adam. He can create a new life within us, a new hope, and a new beginning. Amen. Amen. Amen.